of Drinks with Dan. I'm host Dan Coleman. And alongside me, I have my buddy, my old pal, Snapakovich. Matt, how are you doing today? Uh, you know, Dan, for given our current state of the country and the world, um, I'm doing okay. But I think all of us are, uh, you know, a little bit different nowadays, um, at least for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it's definitely got a new vibe out there. That's for sure. Um, things are things are changing and changing rapidly, huh? No, without a doubt. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging. Um, these are the kind of situations that you just, you can't predict. You, uh, you don't know uh, what's going to happen and they're ever evolving. And, uh, you know, they're a test for literally everybody, whether it's government officials, whether it's healthcare professionals, whether it's uh, staff members at, you know, universities, in my case, uh, everybody is being impacted by this and everybody is, uh, essentially, uh, kind of working on the fly with, uh, with different changes. So it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, but you know, um, some levels and senses of community are emerging here. Um, and that's, I think a good thing. So that's, that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. You're definitely preaching to the choir here. I feel like, you know, being fluid with everything, I feel like I'm getting emails, uh, four different times a day, giving me four different kinds of instructions because things are changing all the time, whether it's from in the medical field with me, from the CDC, from the state, from, um, FEMA to um, local entities such as, you know, I work in Hartford, you know, things of people over there telling us new things and what to do and what not to do and how we're going to run things. I mean, literally changing on an hourly basis, if not more frequently. So it's definitely a, a fluid situation going on right now. No, I, I completely agree with you. And, uh, you know, and I appreciate those services trying to communicate to the general public as quick as possible, you know, what's going on. Because as you said, uh, things are changing. What, what I'd like to see less of, though, on uh, if I'm allowed to make some jokes here, what I'd like to see less of, though, is companies that don't really have an effect on the coronavirus right now. Uh, stop emailing me. Like, you know, I, <laughs> I, I appreciate, you know, do I really, Dan, do I really need to know what Pokemon Go is doing for the coronavirus? Like, don't go outside. Like, thank you. I appreciate that. Or, you know, bounty paper towels. Like, we're committed to your, you know, your success. Your safety, or, yep. Or, or PayPal. Like, PayPal writes me, an in, you know, an informal thing. Like, we're, it's like, no, no, no. I like to hear from my government officials. I like to hear from news outlets. I like to hear from medical fields. Fine. Um, I don't need to hear from the, uh, and I'm not calling them lesser services. I don't need to hear services that just take a pause and take a back seat for now. I mean, how dare you that you don't know what the, the your your grass cutting services are doing to protect you from coronavirus? <laughs> you, you, you know, and it's it's uh so don't I, I would say if you're a company and you know you're a secondary resource company, don't panic if uh if you're not communicating information to people because the reality is is that everybody's getting inundated with so much info that it's that's stressful enough and that's that's become a challenge too. So. You know, I, I, I would say if, if it's not totally necessary to communicate, don't panic if you don't get the information out there. Um, it's OK. So, I mean, for those of you who haven't listened before um, and don't know, Matt works for University of Pennsylvania, correct? Uh, Penn State University. Penn State. Penn State. Uh, How I, dare I? I, I How I dare not, I denote I, you? I am not a Penn Quaker. I am a Nittany Lion. Uh, Penn State University. <laughs> So he works there. So how has it been for you guys? I mean, um, so obviously all colleges are basically closed for the foreseeable future. Um, you teach there, obviously. How has it been for you guys? 
You know, it's uh, it, it's it's been different. Um, I normally when for those of you that have listened to Dan's show before and I come on, it's always baseball talk, baseball talk. Um, and we throw some government stuff in there. Uh, but the reality is for us, it's always lighthearted conversations. But it's this is definitely different. Um, and the world here at the university is definitely different. So uh, for starters, you know, Penn State operates like a city. Most colleges operate like a city. There's people on campus at all times, people walking around. Um, it definitely being an active environment. So whether you're at Penn State, UConn, um, you know, any of your Ivy League schools, uh, even community colleges, it is a ghost town. It looks as if it is like Christmas break and everybody's home with their families. It's a ghost town. Uh, you very rarely see more than two or three people on campus. Um, so just the environment is very surreal. It's quiet. It's, um, you know, almost eerily peaceful. There's nobody there. The, are uh, you guys um, cl- sorry to interrupt? But are you guys closed like in the foreseeable future? Do you guys have an end date? Like, what is the what is the prognosis here? So for us and for most schools, uh, we are essentially we've moved to what's called remote learning. Um, so this is the other big thing that's changed is we've moved to remote learning, which means that all of our students are taking classes essentially in an online medium. Uh, we are closed to students and closed to most staff members at least until um, mid-April uh, as per our ordinance from the governor. Um, so as per Tom Wolf's ordinance, we're closed till mid-April. But the reality is we're not going to see students back on campus um Probably not in full waves until July 1st, uh, just due to the fact that uh, that's when like the big second summer session starts. So we don't have an answer yet if we're going to be having summer session here on campus. Um, but uh, we won't see our students that were here for the spring semester back um, this year. They were they are all um, ordered to stay home. Um, and it's it's just it's been quiet. <laughs> so. Correct me if I'm wrong. I remember. Uh, I think I remember when I was in college. I think we grad like we. The semester ended like the first week of May, if I'm not mistaken. So, how much sense did it make to come back like April fifteenth and then come only back for finals? Like uh, to me, that makes no sense to me at all. Well, so our first proposal was to come back on April sixth, um, and it was to come back. We have to take a three week break and come back on April sixth. That would give us five more weeks of the semester. It takes give us a month and uh, essentially five weeks and then finals week. And it would have been a great plan. Um, but be, due to circumstances that are ever changing, as we both know, uh, that plan was essentially scrapped um, to help flatten the curve of the coronavirus. And now it was moved to uh, just not bring the students back at all. Uh, one, for safety concerns. And two, you're right. It's almost impossible to bring everybody back for two weeks, get back in the academic swing, and then dismiss everybody again. So um, those were kind of the two areas they focused on uh, really when they made their decision. But And this is the same uh, really decision-making structure that just about every college in America now is, is facing. Uh, and all the faculty, we've had to learn a new skill set in teaching. We've gone to remote learning. So for me, um, I teach in the classroom. I hand out tests. I hand out quizzes. I interact with my students. I break them up in groups. Um, we have this back and forth interaction. That all has to be done through the computer. So we still have the ability to deliver our objectives, our learning objectives um, in an online medium. We just have to get really creative about how we're doing that um, and what we're asking people to do. So I'll give you like a simple, uh, you know, random thing for my golf class on a light note, and then I'll talk about my law class. Um, but like my golf class, uh, I have my students understanding uh, face and path delivery of a golf club. Uh, so at home, they've had to take pictures uh, in their kitchen uh, using their, uh, you know, lines on the floor and the wall of the different paths for their golf clubs and send those in. And then I critique those. So it'd be different in the classroom where they would uh, interact with me and interact with each other in those lesson mediums. But uh, we've had to we've had to make uh, slight changes. Uh, my law class, for example, um, 
one of the projects that I have them do is evaluate risk problems on the Penn State campus. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, a project they would do in class. I've had to change that and they have to evaluate um, how individuals and businesses are handling when people can't come to work, when there's a snowstorm or a, in this case, a virus or, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, a terrorist act, you know, how what's a risk management plan a company puts in when they have to operate under business hiatus. So we've had to change the thought process, but the message is still there. Um, it's just done in a different manner. And it's definitely got me thinking um, a little bit more about my teaching. And I'm not the only faculty. There's about 3,000 of us, and we're all kind of learning on the fly of how to deliver school in a new and uh, ever-changing environment. Right. So, like, well, I remember, like, for actually both my undergrads, when we when we go to class or whatever, I would say probably 30% of our classwork was done online via, like, a Blackboard or a Canvas or some kind of app like that. Did you guys have that prior to this? And if so, did you move more towards that medium to get your students to interact with each other? So that's, we had all those systems in place. Um, we would have discussion boards on Canvas, exactly what uh, you just said there. We had online quizzes and we have assignments that they would submit online. And I think your percentage is pretty accurate. Most classes that physically met in a room, maybe about 20% to 30% of the work was on that Canvas, but the other 80% uh, or 70% was in the classroom. For us now, we've all moved to using the Zoom platform, um, which essentially means that everybody, a lot like Facebook Live or Skype messaging, um, everybody goes into a meeting space and we can all see each other uh, via camera and via microphone and I can share my slides with the students and they can see that material and then I can call on them or ask them to participate and they can speak uh, from the comfort of their home. It's a bit slower than the classroom process because there's online delays and uh, some difficulties with that uh, but that's really where we've moved to and now 100% of what we do for a class is now all in a remote online delivery method um, which as I said has posed challenges but I think because everybody's in the same boat, there's a big community spirit, at least at Penn State, but I feel this is probably the same at other schools where everybody's navigating this together. Like this isn't just like one thing that we're doing that no other school is, or this isn't something that's just affecting college students. It's like a worldwide phenomenon. Um, I've been reading a lot of these books on uh, World War II actually to get some perspective on this and uh, reading some stuff about King George VI and Winston Churchill and understanding the community spirit that goes into crisis. And because of that, I think people are being more receptive to the online learning and the changes and the challenges. And that's been comforting for me knowing that, hey, we're all in this together. We're all working together. We're just trying to do the best we can, stay safe and get people to the finish line. I got a, I got a question for you. So um, do you think that this is going to be the new future of um, college? Do you think that we're just going to get rid of brick and mortar schools altogether? You know, that's a hard question to answer. Um, I'm going to give you what I would call like, this is my opinion. I think we're going to have both. I think we're going to have both for two reasons. Um, I think we're going to have online education uh, for the number one reason is to help with non-traditional students, uh, adults who are going back uh, like yourself, adults who, Dan, case in point, you served in the military, um, you know, Coast Guard individual, you went back to school. If you were working a full-time job, that might have been challenging for you. So online courses allow you to still continue your livelihood, but uh, earn your degree. So I think we'll have the online medium. It'll be very structured. It'll be very popular, and it will help the non-traditional students. But we're still going to have our brick-and-mortar institutions because there is something to be said about human interaction and conversing with people in the same room and in that environment. And from a learning standpoint, that's still going to be beneficial. That's not to say that online education limits that, but someone like yourself would be getting all that interaction experience on the job and you'd be learning in the online medium. 
Whereas students, they're not, not a lot of them. I mean, some are working part-time jobs, but they're not in the same life experience stage as someone in the non-traditional environment. So they still need that face-to-face interaction where you would get that at work and then the education background would be replaced online. So I think what you're gonna see is after this time period, I would say in the next 10 years is my time frame. Just about every college will have some form of program online that they're able to deliver in a remote setting to allow non-traditional students to go. And I think this sped up the, the uh, time frame on that. And it made a lot of colleges think about the importance of that. So that's kind of thing I think where we're at for that. Um, yeah, I definitely think, like, I've already seen, like, a bunch of programs go online altogether. I think I can get my master's. I can actually get um, a, a doctorate in nursing online now, which is absolutely crazy to me that you don't have the hands-on stuff. I mean, you have to go and test out hands-on, but you don't have, like, the practice in, um, in like, a college environment. So I, th- I thought that was weird. Correct. Um, and the important thing, the important thing colleges are going to have to do when they move to online programs is to make sure that those online programs still, uh, you know, teach transferable skills to the workplace. So it'll have to be monitored closely. And um, with good instructional design, I think it can be done correctly. It'll just have to be watched closely, just like anything new in the world. So this question is going to really piss you off, and I'm okay with it. So, because um, that's what we do here on Drinks with Dan. So, uh, I, I love it. Bring, bring it on. How much of college is BS? Like, how much of it is BS that we can just, you know, all of a sudden flip a switch and go online, and, like, how much of it was actually necessary? Like, are, are colleges actually necessary is my question, I guess. It's That's a complicated question, but I'll give you the best answer. What I've learned from, and, and I'll be the first one to tell you, Classes that I have taken at Penn State in my department um, that I know other students take, I can't tell you. I can't remember a single thing from those classes. Like, I can't specifically remember a single thing. Um, So what I will say is it's pretty easy to say that not every single thing, every single day that you learn in a college environment is going to be practical to the rest of your life. You know, plain and simple. Um, here's though, where I will say, you know, in terms of, uh, is the college structure BS is that if you can develop the critical, it's more about developing the critical thinking skills, the innovation ability and the soft skills to be very successful. So case in point, while you might not remember every single, um, problem or, um, comprehension thing that you learn in a classroom, you may have understood the way to solve problems, the way to gather information, the way to critically think about something or see all the options that you'll take with you. So in, you know, an intro level art class, you might not understand, uh, you know, the four viewpoints that different people have about a painting. But that skill set of understanding different viewpoints is something you could transition into a hospital setting and say, you know what, I see why these four doctors all view something differently based on their background, history, and experience. So it's really about developing the higher level of thinking. How do I problem solve? How do I critically think? How do I communicate my thoughts written and verbally to another individual? And how do I propose innovation in my workplace setting? College teaches you that. Um, if you can learn those skill sets, you've, I would say, invested your money wisely in your degree. So that's how you should approach, you know, education. Now, again, there are some programs where, you know, my, my friends that have graduated in supply chain, they know how to process different orders on Excel spreadsheets and track product and uh, understand that process. They learned that in class, very transferable skill sets. So there are very transferable skill sets in college, but really the higher message is, can I critically think? Can I communicate in written and verbal ways? Uh, can I understand how to, um, you know, put myself in other p- people's shoes? Can I take what I've learned in the classroom and transition it to the workplace environment? It's do I become an individual that thinks at a higher level 
rather than backing away from a challenge and not trying to problem solve. That's that's ultimately the goal of college. And that's why I think, you know, it's fair to say that not everything you're going to learn here is necessary. But those are the big things that I think are the most important. So I hope I hope my answer is at least sufficient for your question. I'm about to tear it apart by saying, didn't you learn that in high school? I mean, I mean, uh, really, you know, like... what? you know what? The short answer is no. No. And I will tell you why. Um, the high school curriculum is designed for memorization. A high school curriculum tells you a fact, you memorize the fact, and then you regurgitate the fact on a piece of paper. Uh, I think if you look back at a lot of your high school tests, that's how high school is structured. Um, high school is, can you memorize? Can you put that back on paper? Um, think about all the classes we took in high school. Think about that our tests were really based on, here's the material. Okay, do you know the material? And can you repeat that material? Mm-hmm. Whereas the college environment is theory-based. Why is that the answer? Where did this come from? How would you change that? Getting you to think differently about why this is the case. How would you improve that? Um, take, we'll just use my World War II example. A high school lesson or history lesson would go over what happened in World War II. A college history structure would ask what could have been done different? What was the thought process here? How can we apply this to a different scenario? Um, where were mistakes made? Uh, you know, How can we use this to prepare for the future? So that's what I would say is the difference is high school curriculums are designed for memorization and understanding, whereas college curriculums are designed to critically think. And, 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 that's what, and that's, that would be my comment to that. Well, I mean, I, I'm not going to say you're wrong. I mean, I remember in, in high school, it was, you know, World War World War II was 1943 to 1945 in the U.S. or whatever, you know. Um, but, you know, we never learned about why it started. And, I, and I, even in college, I guess, well, I didn't pick history as a major, so I can't say that I didn't learn it in college. But I learned other things, I guess. Um, but I don't know. I just feel like maybe, maybe I'm a little jaded because I think our high school education was pretty damn good, especially compared to like other places I've lived, like comparing it to Florida. I feel like I was, we learned in, uh, 10th grade what they were learning in eighth or something like that. So, um, I, I feel like maybe our high school was above average nationally. I, I, no, I, I'd agree our high school education. I mean, you and I went to the same school, same classes. I agree. Our high school education was great. Um, I'm not knocking high school. I'm not knocking college. I'm just saying it's different. Uh, here's what I will say, though. College isn't for everybody. I teach in a college environment. I, I think the American culture puts so much emphasis on the fact that you need a college degree to be successful. Um, that's absolutely not the, tr- not, not the case. Uh, here's, here's a simple point. Look at, a, look at a car coming out right now in 2020. And the math and the you know, automotive skill set you need to fix that car. It's not your 1980 Chevy that you can do a simple oil change and a tune-up on. It has a complex computer system and uh, you know processing unit that is super hard to fix. People that go to trade schools and learn how to do that, I don't think that we should, as a society, demean that person or say that's not the same as a college degree or that's you know a college degree is better. It's an honorable skill. It's a successful skill and a challenging skill. So I think my comment would be, you know, college isn't for everybody, and that's okay. And I think in society we need to start thinking about the fact that. People can learn in different environments. People can do jobs and work that don't have to be done in a brick and mortar four-year institution. Um, and we need to invest in that. You know, we need to invest in the manufacturing industries. We need to invest in the environmental industries um, and in some of these companies that you know are non-traditional in terms of training. And I think you'll have a lot of success with that too. So I would say, you know, from an education standpoint too, you don't have to have a college degree to have a very successful life. There's other options. There's other trainings that. Um, are just as challenging, are just as involved with learning, and are very successful for a lot of people. 
No, I completely agree, especially in like the past week, we've seen essential employees and what constitutes an essential employee. And it's those people you just talked about. It's the plumbers. It's the electricians. Those are the essential employees we need right now. We don't need somebody with a bachelor's degree in history to go to work right now. And you know, we... We need we need the people to store the the to work the stores and to do that thing those those kinds of things. You're exactly uh, right, and you know what? I hope that as the, you know, I hope this is an example over the next five years that okay, well, why can't we have both? Why can't we have a high investment in education in a brick and mortar college institution or an online setting, but also be a nation that supports and treats equally those that don't go the traditional college route? Um, maybe this is going to be a time period, you know, we always learn stuff from major world crises, you know, 9-11, Vietnam War, um, World War II, pandemics in the early 1900s. This is the coronavirus now. We're going to learn something from this. Maybe that's one of the learning outcomes we'll get from this scenario. Yeah, I hope we learn a lot out of this, especially in the medical field myself. And I'm going to refrain from going down that rabbit hole. (laughs) (laughs) I know, you know, hey, I know it's been challenging and, uh, you know, uh, People like yourself on the front lines, I know it's difficult. It's way more challenging than uh, anything that I'm doing right now. So I hope that anybody else that's in that medical field understands that, um, you know, you have the hardest job right now. But pay, plain and plain, case in point, plain and simple. It's not. This is not easy. I mean, I was talking to one of my friends today. I guess I'm going to start going down this rabbit hole. Screw it. Uh, I was talking to one of my friends today, and I said, you know, I didn't. I I know what I signed up for. I didn't sign up to go into my job not knowing that I don't knowing that I don't have the equipment that I need to do my job successfully. You know, we wouldn't send. You, you made the World War II reference. We wouldn't send GIs over to to Germany and to France without flak jackets or or weapons. And here we are trying to fight a virus with our bare hands and bandanas. Like this is not the U.S. that I want to work in like um you know I, I would have never done that you know i teach a unit in my law class on risk management and one of the things i say to my students because i talk a lot about like here's what happened after this disaster happened after this collapse after this injury after this lawsuit i always say here's what happened after 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 and i try to encourage them to think about or put themselves in managerial shoes about what could go wrong and how do we eliminate a problem like how do we do something to make sure that this doesn't happen or that this problem doesn't occur And I'm hoping that that mentality gets established in a lot of the healthcare field. Like, what do we do if the next bad thing happens? Because it's just a reality. It's going to. That's just, you know, we have good times and bad times. And this is going to have to be a lesson in that. Like, okay, what did we learn from here? And what do we do to make sure the next bad thing doesn't happen so that when the next bad thing comes, we're prepared? Um, And you're right. I don't think we had that mentality at the beginning of what do we do in that. And I think you're right to be frustrated in that scenario. Yeah, I mean, case in point, 9-11, we learned that, hey, firefighters and police officers couldn't even talk to each other on the radio. And, you know, since then, we fixed that so everybody can talk to each other and know what's going on, where and when and how. And from this, it's like we didn't know it was coming, but we did. And I don't know. It, it's just um, a very fluid situation. No, you're exactly right. And that's why, you know, what you can criticize, and I don't mean you personally, I mean the royal you, like people in the world can criticize but they also have to understand that we're all facing something that people don't have all the information for. Even the best of the best don't have all the information for. So just, you know, it's 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 your American right to criticize. And I understand the frustration. It's definitely there. But also take a step back and realize that we don't even know the outcome. Like we don't truly know how this is playing out, and what's going to happen. So just keep in mind that people are still trying to find the answers. Everybody's still trying to figure things out. And, you know, Maybe cut people some slack a little bit. I'm not saying entirely, but maybe cut a slack a little bit because we don't know that we don't know the end game. We don't know what the actual answer should be. Yeah, hindsight's always 2020, and I think that statement is is even 
more true today. We don't know what's going to happen until it's over. Um, I mean, and looking like for the next big problem, like how do we prepare for it, and like what recommendations we had for younger people to to look for the next big issue coming forward? You know, you know, you brought that up, and I'm hoping that uh, we we talked about like some topics and we discussed this yesterday, and that you know that was one of my questions is what can younger individuals do um, for the next big thing? Um, I hope this is a life lesson for a lot of individuals, like you know our age, but even younger. Um, some things to think about in the back of your head. One, the importance of health insurance, like the importance of health insurance. And I made a short list of just things to think about. Make sure you're insured from a healthcare standpoint. Um, you know, it, I don't get me wrong. I hate making that health insurance payment every month. I mean, I, I don't like doing it. Um, you know, I, I don't like that money come out of my check, but here's the reality. If something bad happens, it's great to know that that's covered. Um, so the first thing I, I, you know, that my first tip was, you know, learn from this, make sure you always have health insurance, whether it's under your parents until you're 26 or, you know, with a company, or I hate to say it, but sometimes you have to purchase that on your own. It's an investment that you hope to God you never have to use, but when you do, uh, you know, it's super beneficial. Second thing, uh, my dad has a saying, you know, we, we, we've heard Mr. B all the time, um, you know, his comments about grilling and life. Um, but he's got a great saying when it rains, it pours. Um, Mm -hmm. What he means by that is when bad things happen, it comes, you know, full force, it piles on. So when it rains, it pours. Here's an example of it's raining, it's pouring, and it's not letting up. Right. His advice to that is build a nest egg. Um, you know, save your pennies. I recommend for individuals, something to learn from this, put away six months worth of expenses. Have a nest egg available. And, and I don't mean a nest egg you invest in the stock market. I'm talking cash on hand. You know, you can put it in a, you, you can put it in a savings account that gets your one to 2%, fine. Um, yeah, it, I know it's not going to grow money, but that's not the point. It's an emergency fund that allows you to access that if something goes wrong for the next six months. Um, I guarantee a lot of people don't have that. Now, is it possible for everybody to do that? No, it's not. I understand that people are in different life situations and not everybody can say, well, Matt, that's next to impossible. I can't do that. I get it. I get it. But if you have the opportunity to do that, if you have the opportunity to cut expenses, even if it takes you a long period of time, maybe it takes you five years to do that. But who knows? In the next six years, Dan, you and I might be talking about something else that happened bad in the nation. Um, So that's my second thing. When it rains, it pours. Have that safety net um, in play here. So those are my other things. I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head with cash, but I'm all, I also would like to echo that and say not only have cash on hand, but also put away money in a 401k at a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever your job will match on, if they even will match, do the max that they'll match. Um, whether it's 5%, 4%, 6%, whatever it is that they'll match, do it young because the older you wait, the more money you could lose in a situation like this. And Dan, um, just he, you guys can't see uh, like we're uh, talking via audio, but that's my third tip. Uh, so Dan, you already covered that. Oh, that's my bad. Uh, no, 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 not bad at all. Ex- excellent point on that. Um, put that money in. And look here, and here's here's just a little side note, guys. Um, stock market's low right now. If you have money, start investing it. It's gonna come back. Historically, the stock market comes back. Yes, we have a recession low. Uh, buy low, sell high. Only thing I ever learned in finance 101. I know I learned other stuff, but um, buy low, sell high. You got some money, start investing it in the market. Um, you know, at a respectable and slow rate. Um, but yes, you know, start those retirement plans, those investment things early. It's a very smart move to do at a young age. Um, it's a great idea. The other two tips I had on here were um, think about investing in if your body is your paycheck. I used to love this. I call it the Rob Gronkowski. Uh, <laughs> right? The Rob Gronkowski. If your body is your paycheck. Maybe it's not the greatest idea to have a Gronk's party cruise where you and your boys are doing lemon drop shots with big sunglasses and eating chicken wings, okay? Um, 
Maybe not the best thing in the world to do. Uh, here's the thing. A lot of us have jobs that our bodies are paycheck, meaning that if we physically can't go to work, uh, we can't do our job. Like if we break a leg or if we get sick or if we get ill um, or if something happens to us, we need our body to do our job. Consider investing in short-term or long-term disability insurance. It runs between $18 to $20 a month, in some cases $13 a month, but it pays you up to 60 to 80% of your salary in the event that you're injured on the job. It's a, it's a bit different than workman's compensation. It covers a lot more things that can happen, uh, things like mental issues, for example, um, or you injuring yourself outside the workplace. Consider those purchases as well. Um, I have those for myself in case I can't go to work uh, for a period of time. Uh, that's my other recommendation to you that you can protect yourself if, you know, when bad things happen is consider those options, um, you know, underneath, you know, in life, consider those options as well. Um, it's a pretty good idea, uh, you know, to, to do that. Um, so that's me, you know, that's my other tip. My last one on my list. And then Dan, if you want to add anything, please feel free. Uh, this isn't really, this isn't really, uh, you know, my, my own Matt's personal tip. <laughs> my last one on my list is figure out a way, or I shouldn't say figure out a way, but surround yourself in a community. And this is more of a life tip, but in times like this, um, people are under a lot of mental strain and stress, and that's challenging. And being able to just talk to others, reach out to others for help, um, you know, I would say I don't ever recommend the lifestyle of being alone and I got to do it all on my own and I'm the only person. Everybody needs help in their life. Uh, it might be a small amount of thing, like a couple of eggs here and there, to big things that, you know, are like childcare. Um, you know, right now, there's so many Americans that are helping each other, you know, watch their kids while they're trying to re work remotely or while they're trying to do jobs. Um, you know, that sense of community, that sense of helping each other, the golden rule, the, the you know, being a kind citizen, um, you know, those are needed in times like this. So, you know, try your best as you're going through life to surround yourself with people that you can rely on, that you can help, and vice versa, that can help you. Because times like this is when you need those individuals the most, and that helps strengthen the bonds of friendship and you know camaraderie so much better. So, like you know, just Dan, you and I talking and like during this time period we're quarantined, like it's a good you know it's a good stress relief for me. Um, you know, not getting to talk and chat with all my students. Um, you know, having those relationships with people I think is really important. So, you know, my last tip is you work to build that sense of community. Don't be that person that kind of shuts themselves down from the world. Um, you don't you know like. I said, you don't have to be friends with everybody, but having a couple people you can rely on and talk to in, in tough times, um, believe me, it goes a long way, um, you know, really from a mental health standpoint and, you know, in, in times of crisis. So um, build that, build that friend network, you know, they always tell you to build the business network. That's great. And that's important, but equally as important is build that friend network that you can rely on um, that can help you in times of need. So that's, that's really my, my tips of what to do, uh, you know, what can younger individuals do in, in the difficult situations? And, you know, Dan, if you've got any other ones, I'm all ears. Cause I'm always, I'm always here to learn. The only thing I might add is to use the benefits that you're given to you, whether it's from a job or not or whatever. So like for a case, like you, you kind of alluded to the, um, your mental health, you know, if your work offers you some kind of EAP or employee assistance program for like just to go talk to a counselor for eight, 12 sessions for free, use it. Um, I've used it in the past. Um, I was going through stressful situations in the military. I mean, people have it now in the ER to go talk to people and be like, hey, this happened. You know, I tried to do X, Y and Z, couldn't save them, whatever. Um, and it kind of just keeps you sane and it keeps it away from the people like your friends that you don't want to know. Hey this happened to me and then you have a breakdown and then you end up in a, in a hospital or something, you know, uh, I, I would say use whatever, um, programs are available to you. And most of the time they don't cost you a dime. It's built into your, um, you pay for it without even knowing, um, coming out of your paycheck. 
Um, not even on top of you know your your supplemental things like you mentioned, um, disability and things like that. Um, it's just given to you for free, and they expect you to use it, so you should use it. No, I think that's that's an excellent point, and uh, you know, and, and this is a time period when people need to know that and and should take advantage of that too. So, um, you know, spot on on that as well. We'll add that we'll add that to the list. <laughs> um, I mean, kind of going off that job market has kind of changed from like power going from um, the 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 big I don't want to say the big wigs, but the big wigs to the employees themselves. Um, how how do you think that has changed like the job market and the outlook on that? Oh, I, I actually I can comment on this really well from teaching human resources and working as an internship coordinator. Um, it's turned on a dime. Okay, unemployment rate. Uh, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong. We were between three and four percent over the last couple months, right? Is that does that sound right? You, you're my you're my fat guy on that. Um, uh, that sounds about right. I know it's going to jump up to close to twenty percent apparently correct. in the next uh, week. So I would say it was probably like three or five percent. I would agree. Correct. So, so what I talk about with my classes is when unemployment rates are low, um, it's hard to retain good employees. They have the power. They can demand different things. Um, they can demand uh, higher wages. And they can demand stuff because they have options. They have choices. Um, they know that you know it's there's not a lot of other people that can be replaced. Um, we just went from that power structure to a complete shift on the dime, where companies have all the power now. Um, and they can be very selective in what they offer in salaries and in how in their hiring practices. Um, you know, again, we're gonna go, we're gonna go to my dad again. Uh, you know, he sometimes uses a phrase, "You're only a number," um, referring to the fact that you know when it comes to this type of setting, we uh, we tend to now you know view employees as numbers, and we can dispose of them quickly, and we can you know companies have more power now in this setting. Uh, so that's, that's where, you know, that's where the industry is now moved. And this is not just, you know, my industry, which is very hospitality based. This is all industries. Uh, the companies now have the power in terms of the employees they hire, how they pay them and the work they ask them to do. So my, my tip and thought process to that is, um, you know, from, from kind of two ends, my first tip to like high level companies is remember that you're dealing with people, not items, you know, and I say that in a sense of remember that, you know, even though that, you know, people are numbers and people, um, you know, you have salary decisions to make and you have to cut stuff and you have to, you know, select the best people. Remember, you're dealing with human beings, not items. Human beings have feelings. They have lives. They have situations. They have things outside that. Keep that in mind. I'm not saying, you know, you're going to be altering your plans drastically, but understand you're dealing with a person, not an entity. Um, and then my reverse to individuals is now more than ever, you got to separate yourself. You know, they tell you about business networks. They tell you about professionals and they tell you about being the best. Um, now more than ever, you got to separate yourself. You have to prove to a company what you can do uh, that others can't. The, the age old question, why should I hire you? You better have a stellar answer for that. And if it's I'm a hard worker, uh, you need to revamp that answer because everybody's <laughs> a hard worker. And, 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 you know, sometimes I get students in that will like, give me that answer. I go, OK, let's work on that. Um, you got to separate yourself, separate yourself and say, why? Is it that I should bring you on board? Um, and you better be prepared to, uh, you know, you better be prepared to work hard. Uh, I think, I think the reality is, you know, I'll, I'll use this analogy um, that I think is pretty fitting. You can learn everything in life from the gym, um, and I say that in a sense of if you work hard, you get results. The harder you push yourself, the more you can achieve, and you're going to be faced with huge levels of adversities and challenges, things you can't do, and it becomes tough. You get frustrated, but you have to persevere through those things. Uh, transition that into the workforce and you're going to be okay. So going off that, how, how useful these days do you see unions, um, like union workers and unions in themselves? 
You know, I, that's a challenging question. Um, and, you know, I'm ashamed to admit I do, I teach union structures and how to deal with contracts and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. To, to be honest with you, I don't really know the true answer to that of how, how um, useful I see unions. I think my response would be the more established unions are going to have more success and it's going to be very fitting to be a part of those unions in established industries that are uh, very blue collar, um, manufacturing, um, delivery businesses, uh, landscaping, for example, just things like that. It's going to be very important to be part of those unions. I think what you'll see, though, is, is those unions are going to be a bit more selective of who they bring on board because ultimately they're going to want to make sure that those employees do a pretty good job um, and that the company doesn't just abandon the entire union in its entirety and then rehire a new workforce and staff. Now, every contract is different. So I would say established unions are going to be pretty useful in the coming months um, and maybe the coming years. But I would caution people of thinking that they're just going to be able to get in any union that they can, um, realizing that you're going to have to step your game up if you want to join that group. Um, think of the union as a higher level social club that everybody wants to be a part of now. Um, that would be, that's kind of my take on that situation. Yeah. I'm, I'm just curious because um, where I work, we don't have a union for any employees, but um, my enterprise is multi- made up of multiple hospitals and a lot of the other hospitals do. And those workers are um, unionized. Granted, they, they, they actually make less than I do and they actually pay union dues. So I'm wondering, you know, why why bother having it if it's costing you money and you're not getting anything better out of it you know um well, you know that's i mean that's a deeper discussion on some union stuff and there there's some good ones there's some bad ones um so you you know you're you're spot on on that um the the union mindset has changed a little bit in time so it's really on a case by case basis uh the only thing i will comment on though is the most powerful tool unions always had is the ability to strike and right. For companies, when you lose, let's just say, 60,000 workers, um, that becomes challenging for that company. That's a lot of power for that, that workforce. Um, my thinking nowadays, if in, you know, I'm just doing math and logic here. If unemployment rates are high and an entire union walks off and it's easily able to replace and hire those workers at a better rate and a more economic you know, structure for companies, I wouldn't be surprised if the company saying, hey, bye, good to see you, we're done and to go a different route. So I think my caution would be if a union's preparing something along the lines of that type of strike, um, understand that the company has a lot more power than they used to. So, you know, be, be prepared for that. But again, that's a, that's a, there, it's a very uneducated prediction. So I'm going to hold off on, you know, some good advice I learned a long time ago, Dan, if you don't know anything about a topic, it's okay to say, I don't know. And I don't know where this is going. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to say that with that statement. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know enough about it either, and I was hoping maybe you, you could enlighten me a little bit more because, I mean, obviously unions are were really big back when we were working coal mines and getting black lung and things like that. These days we have OSHA and other regulations to protect us from that, so I was just curious to see like, if the unions still play a role in you know society today. Well, you I know think what, I, actually, you, you know, you bring an excellent point, um, and the, the thing with unionization is that um, – you know, the main reason why it was so successful, and why it was done was because of poor working conditions. Like that was the reason for unionization. Um, and, you know, I teach that from a history lesson standpoint. That's exactly why we had unionization. It, it was simple. It was because we had poor working conditions. Well, with the working conditions improving over time, the union power was lost a little bit. So um, 
you know, the, I would see, I would say from a historical standpoint, if we were to look at history, where we would see an increase in unionization, more power is if, you know, maybe because of this situation, working conditions deteriorated, um, we'd see more power with the union structure. So that's, that's kind of just where we're at with that, um, you know, in, 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 in that standpoint. So, you're, you know, you're exactly right with that. Um, and with working conditions being better, the unions lost a lot of power. So if we saw a decline in working conditions, I think we'd see a rise in power for unions. Right. Um, not really lighter because they're still talking about, you know, bad things going on in the world. But sports are coming. Well, sports should be here and they're not. Uh, <laughs> baseball season opening day should have been coming around the corner and it's now uh, down the hall and to the right. You know, here, here's what I'll say on that topic. And, and for those of you that have listened to this before with Dan and I, you know how much I love sports. I love sports. I eat, sleep and breathe it. It is part of my day. Um, it's part of my life. Um, I get it. Now, first thing I'll say automatically, the safety of the health of individuals in the United States and the world is more important. So I love sports, but I'll be the first one to tell you, so happy that everything is shut down because we do not need people getting sick because they want to watch hockey, basketball, baseball. Um, and obviously football's in the fall. I, I get it. So you're not, you're never going to hear an argument with me. Like I, I cannot in any way, shape or form be upset of what happened because it's the exact social responsibility thing to do. Um, you know, my, my biggest concern with sports being shut down is, you know, kind of two parts. Part one is sports industry is a $71.8 billion industry. Um, and in case you're wondering where I get that, that's a quote from one of my slides I teach in class. Um, <laughs> so, so I, I don't just pull it out at 71.8. I don't just pull it out, of, you know, out of thin air. Um, a lot of people job wise are impacted with that. And that's, that's unfortunate. Um, a lot of people who live paycheck to paycheck work in some of the industries in sports, and that's hard to hear that they're out of work. So, you know, there's a challenge with that. Um, the other thing too, with not having sports, sports are the lifeblood of cities. You know, you look at, I'll, I'll, I'll use my Philly example. When the Eagles win, the town is happier on Monday. Um, if you actually look from a statistic standpoint, tipping is actually 20% higher on a Monday after the Eagles win than it is after an Eagle loss. People are more cordial. They're excited. You know, they're happy. Um, that's not a secret. People in different towns ban around sports. It's also a way to showcase the community. Case in point, Dan, I'll give you a question here. What is the only thing you know about Green Bay, Wisconsin? Packers and cheese. And, well, no, no, spot on. You know, you're exactly right. I, I always say this to my, to my class. Cheese. You know, we know about that. It's a unique thing about Green Bay, Wisconsin. Aside from that, nobody knows anything about Green Bay, Wisconsin. But it's a way to showcase community pride and community spirit. You know, we know about the New Orleans and the French history. Um, you know, because of the Saints. Um, we know about Bourbon Street and a lot of those things because of the New Orleans Saints and their connection to uh, you know their French history. So you know, it's a way the community shows off, bands around things. You know, you might be a Republican, a Democrat. You might be from twenty different races, economic backgrounds. Um, you know, lifestyle choices uh, in different situations. Everybody in that arena at the Wells Fargo is going to be different. But when Joel Embiid does a tomahawk dunk in front of everybody over, you know, we'll just use a Boston Celtics players, the entire arena cheers. It's something we can all get behind and all support. Missing that, it does a, it does a lot of damage to the one psyche. And, um, you know, it's okay that you're, you know, people say, oh, you shouldn't be so invested in sports. It's not about the sport. It's about having a commonality that everybody can talk about and everybody can band together with and everybody can celebrate in a positive way. Eliminating that is challenging, and that's you know that, that's hard to hear. Um, don't get me wrong; it is exactly what should happen, and it is exactly what the the league should be doing, and I have no objection to that. But 
you know, it's hard not to showcase that community spirit and not to see that um, because it's a daily part of our lives. And that's that's been tough for a lot of people. And, and especially myself, who, you know, um, in, in a week span, my connection to Penn State baseball, to Penn State basketball, to our hockey team in the playoffs, to our summer league here in the State College Spikes, to my Philadelphia 76ers, to my Flyers, um, all disappeared. In, in an instance. And that was a pretty big hit to my, you know, to myself. And that's been challenging. So I know I'm not the only person in that, you know, in that world. And, and that's, that's, that sucks. But hopefully down the line, we see um, those sports come back, life gets back to normal, and we go back to cheering on our teams. Yeah, you know, I was just like, I'm not, I, I've gone to baseball games, I'm not a baseball fan myself. I don't have a team that I root for. I'll just go to any game because I don't really care. Uh, but football's my thing. And, you know, the draft was coming up in April, which has now been um, basically moved to an online format. And that the draft is the way to showcase a city. And we are going to showcase Las Vegas this year. And now that's not happening. And I was just thinking, like, the city, the city was going to put on a show. Uh, they're going to bring out the red carpet for the, the entire NFL and the entire world to come down. Two million people went to Philly when they did it there when I was there. Um, just brings in a, a bunch of people and a bunch of money. And now they plan on having that, and they don't have that anymore. And the economic turn on this has got to be absolutely horrible um, that they're not going to get back. It's No, you're, without a doubt, you're spot on with that. But um... – not only that, there are so many ramifications that are going to occur because of simple situations like this. I'll give you a small one. Uh, last year, as you know, Dan, I took 25 of my students to Nashville to um, work on environmental causes for the uh, NFL draft. And we helped with recycling programs and with um, helping to lower the carbon footprint of mega events. Same event was being planned for uh, my students this year for the draft. I was supposed to be there. I was supposed to take 25 of my kids. Uh, that's not happening. That's internship credits. That is work experience. That is career stuff. That's defining moments in the, you know, my, my students' lives that would help them with job success, that would help them with like figuring out their passion, their career moments. Um, those are all gone. So, um, you know, that's just a small example of the NFL draft not happening is going to be a huge ripple effect in so many areas that we can't even comprehend and think of. Um, and, and, you know, from an economic standpoint, that's first and foremost, but also from just, you know, so many other secondary entities that are impacted by this. So, you know, I, I make the comment because people think that shutting down sports, oh, it's a simple thing. Nobody went to the game. What most people don't realize is how many other industries are impacted by sports not being in existence. Um, of course, Dan, you remember the Hartford Whalers used to be our hockey team up in Hartford. Um, sure for do. Of years. Uh, there are restaurants. Uh, Steve Jones, our play-by-play -play announcer, he's from Fairfield, Connecticut here at Penn State, uh, grew up in the Connecticut area. He talks about how there are businesses and restaurants that still have not recovered from the whalers leaving Hartford and moving to Carolina. You know, restaurants and bars that are impacted by people going to game day stuff. So, you know, the draft is a perfect example of how, yes, okay, the NFL is not going to get their TV ratings for that and their advertisement revenue. Fine. But the hotels in Las Vegas aren't going to get those rooms. The uh, hospitality packages aren't happening. The student trips aren't happening to help volunteer there. Uh, the dollars and economic value in the restaurant is all going downfield. There's so many ripple effects that are, you know, not realized at the beginning, but are going to be very impactful that you know, are opposing challenges. And th those are the hard things to swallow for somebody like myself who loves sports, but also understands um, how important sports are for other businesses outside of his own industry. Um, you know, that, that's, that's going to be, that's going to be difficult. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I hope that the NFL doesn't, um, 
get involved in, in this whole Corona thing. I mean, I, I really hope this thing's over. I hope it's over in the next 10 days, but I mean, as a medical professional looking at this, it's going to go on for months. And, and I, I honestly don't know if we're going to see the end of basketball season. I think they're just going to call it as is. And that's just my go-to feeling. Cause by, by the time they're going to play again, it's going to be the next season. Unfortunately, um, you're going to lose half the season of golf. If, the, if this keeps going on, you know, and I know you love golf and, and I'm looking at that and I'm like, I don't know how much of this we can resurrect. You know, the masters is gone. How much more can we, uh, can we keep? Now you're, you're, you're spot on on that one. Um, and, uh, you know, to add into that with, uh, the NFL season with the NBA, uh, here, you know, another thing that's a ripple effect on this, the NBA athletes are having a hard time staying in shape. They can't go to their gyms. They can't go and work out. They can't practice. So if you bring the NBA season back, is it the same NBA players? Um, you know, that's, that's just a simple challenge here. It's we're all in this world facing problems. We never thought we would, you know, have to deal with today. Um, I never thought that the only place I could go was the grocery store right now, but that's a reality. Um, so, you know, you're, you're, you're right. I, I hope it, I hope it, you know, I hope people are practicing. I hope people are actually taking this situation seriously, practicing good social distance rules so that we can flatten the curve so that we can, you know, um, we, we can move into a way that gets us back or gets our societal things back that we, you know, we love and enjoy. And, and I will say to those that are still considering this a joke and, you know, packing beaches and clowning around and not doing what they're supposed to do. Um, stop being selfish, stop being a selfish person because your actions affect so many other people. Um, you are part of a symbiotic circle where your actions affect others and stop doing that. Stop being a person that is only thinking about themselves and start thinking about the greater good of humanity. I mean, pretty plain and simple. I don't know if I can spell it out any easier. So, um, and I know sports, you know, sometimes bring that out in me, but here we are. Yeah, no, I mean, you hit the, you hit the spot on stay the hell home. I mean, really, um, this isn't about you. This is, I mean, I, I saw some memes about, uh, you know, millennials at the beach. Well, millennials are sitting at home watching Netflix. This isn't, this isn't you and me here doing this, uh, you know, um, going out and packing the beaches, like you said. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what else to say about it. I, I'm, I'm really sad that we're not going to get sports and it's not going to know it. But, um, and you, you mentioned, you made a really good point about, um, the, you know, the athletes that we know might not be the same athletes when they come back. Look at the uh, Olympics today. The Olympics have just got postponed a year. Think about all these Olympians that can't train and go to the gym and what that's doing to their bodies and stuff like that. Like, I'm sure, yes, some of them have personal trainers and some gym equipment at home, but that changes the entire outlook on the next year of training now. And that those people that were ready to go to the Olympics this year now have to push it off a whole nother year now. No, you're, you're exactly right. And it's, again, it's another example of things that, um, you know, that are affected by, by this whole situation. But I will say, and, and Dan, if, if you, if you permit me, I, I just, I'll change the tone slightly a little Let's bit. Do here, it, um, please. Cause we've been, we've been a little depressed. <laughs> Here's the thing about humanity. Um, when you back us into a corner, when we're at our most vulnerable, um, I'm going to, I'm going to go sport wise here. I'm going to talk and we're going to go Rocky one, two, three, four, five and Rocky <laughs> and Rocky Balboa and Creed one, two, we come out fighting. Um, humanity is true. Humanity will get through this. Businesses will get through this. People will get through this. Um, life will go on and eventually we will be in a better situation, happier times. Um, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is something that is going to be better down the line. So I look at this whole situation and say, yes, this is terrible. This sucks. There's a lot of things we need to do. Life as we know it is different, but 
there's a silver lining. We're going to get through it. We're going to manage it. The government is going to help us, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, your challenges and structure. Government officials, at the end of the day, do want to serve and help the people. Um, I know there's challenges with that. Um, I know that there's healthcare challenges. I know that there's humanity challenges. I know that there's, you know, rules and regulations. But at the end of the day, um, humanity will prevail. They will get through this. And we will be seeing better times down the line. When that comes into play, I don't know. But keep in mind that we're looking at a situation where, you know, we're going to get better. Um, when back into a corner, the world survives. You know, wars, pandemics, economic crisis, terrorism, every single thing that humanity has been thrown at, you know, they fight back pretty well. Um, and I have to believe that this is a scenario where at the end of the day, we're going to prevail and we're going to be better. How long that takes, I don't know. The amount of effort we have to put in, it's going to be a lot, but we're going to get through it. We're going to be better. You know, you're right. It, it comes at, it, it, and it comes at a price. It comes to the price of hard work and dedication from individuals um, that are going out there and doing the job, the, the dirty work, the hard work of getting through this. Um, it, it comes at a financial cost to all of us that we're all going to see. But you are, I, I, you know, I look at the, uh, the U.S., for example. We've had an entire uh, volunteer military now for hundreds of years, and uh, I guess we've only lost for we don't we never lost a war. We lost a skirmish in Vietnam. I, uh, I will say no. I will I will go back historical records. The United States has never lost a single battle during the Vietnam War. The United States never lost one single battle during the Vietnam War, according to historical records. I agree. We could we can debate that at another drinks with Dan on a lighter note. <laughs> but um, we're still back to back World War champs. So. Right. Um, but you know I look at that and I'm like you know what we did that with an all volunteer force um, and and we can prevail and we will prevail it just will come at a cost and we have to be we have to look at this and say you know what we are going to lose people we already have we're going to continue to however we're going to push through it and um, together we can do more than what we can do alone well said Mr. Coleman well said um Matt, that's about all I wrote. Uh, you know what? I think we hit on my topics, and uh, hopefully for those that are listening, um, they appreciate our back and forth. And, uh, you know, hey, it's a, it, this, you know, like, as I said, life has changed. Our usual drinks and Dan conversation involved me picking the uh, champions of uh, baseball and uh, us debating, uh, you know, which pitchers and managers are the best. But, uh, you know, times are different. And hopefully that some of the stuff we talk about today um resonated with those that listened and uh thanks for uh thanks for joining us and letting uh letting me uh come on and uh chat with uh with my good friend of uh dan at this point we're at 30 or 26 years of friendship if i if, if my math is correct <laughs> uh we met at the age of four so that is accurate that is yeah. highly accurate um you know what man i promise you next time we come on here or I have you on here. We're going to talk Tom Brady. We're going to talk Cam Newton. We're going to talk, hopefully, a lot more sports. Um, and hopefully, this virus is uh, not taking a toll on either of us. Um, you know, I wish you the the very best. Uh, I hope you stay safe. I hope you stay um, healthy. Um, if you ever need anything, obviously reach out, and that goes for anybody. Ever anybody listening? I appreciate that, Dan. And as always, stay safe. And uh, hey, you know what? Hunker down, and uh, we'll get through this. I agree. Until next time, everybody, that was another episode of Drinks with Dan. Uh, if you like it, rate, subscribe to uh, me on Apple Podcast, Anchor, Google Play, whatever you got. If you don't mind, check out my uh, other boys 
on the um, Sideline Network. Check out Richo and Lala. Uh, check out the Richo's Rant and check out LaValley Sports Talk Radio. Until next time, thank you, everybody. Stay safe. <laughs>